Hello, I'm Jackie Stone and welcome to episode 8 of my Coaching Conversations podcast. My intention with the podcast is to give listeners a sense of how the coaching process can support people, their organisations, teams and businesses to find and live their purpose and tap into the best of themselves as they face into the future. That future, in this time of COVID-19, still remains uncertain. All the more so, since at the same time as needing to tame the pandemic, there are the equally, if not more challenging, global climate and ecological emergencies happening. As a coach supporting my clients to face into these emergencies, I come across some amazing people. And today's guest, Joe Muskashoad, is one of those people. Joe, welcome to Coaching Conversations. If pressed, I'd describe Joe as a change agent, someone who makes a difference, whether from within or, in her case, from outside organisations and structures. She's the founder of a marvellous organisation, Hope for the Future, which supports people to engage their MPs with the climate and ecological emergencies. She left her role as founder last year to set up her own business, Climate Emergence, and through that to offer a place where we can process what on earth is happening to us and our planet. So Joe, the all too obvious question is to ask you to imagine being called in to advise our current government on the lessons being learned from the pandemic that be applied to facing into these emergencies. But before we get to that, perhaps you could share the story of why you founded Hope for the Future and then Climate Emergence. Yes. Okay. So um, I... Um... I joined actually I joined Hope for the Future a little while in. Um, it started out as an idea um, of several churches to try and get churches lobbying politicians on climate change in the lead up to the 2015 general election. This was seven, seven or eight years ago. There was a little bit of funding and I came on board to try and sort of help coordinate that. But things really began to gain traction when we started accompanying people to meet with their MP and lobby on climate change. And we were finding that there was this sort of disconnect that was happening. It was impossible to sort of really get MPs genuinely listening and then genuinely going on and doing something about climate change afterwards. I actually had my first MP meeting was with Nick Clegg. It was shortly after the um, 2015 election. And, um, and I was sort of in and out of the office within 10 minutes having sort of not really said all the things I wanted to say and and it just didn't feel like it had gone well and asking around and, and following other people with their journey with their MPs it seemed like this was sort of a problem across the movement so we thought right well where can we go to get some training to learn how to do this better what's blocking MPs and at that time there wasn't really any resource out there for everyday people that just wanted to go and see their MP um, so we thought we'd have a go we, uh, yeah, we, we trialled different techniques with hundreds of MPs across the country. We interviewed MPs, we did a lot of research and in the end sort of stumbled upon something that was really, really effective. 
it sort of taps into what Neil was talking about in your last podcast, which is all about um, rather than taking an adversarial approach, which works in certain lobbying settings, but in a sort of one-to-one meeting with an MP, it was really about cultivating empathy, taking a coaching approach, understanding the emotional blockages for an MP. Quite a lot of that was around eco-anxiety and training people to be able to um, sort of unlock those blockages for their MP. So that's what we did. We were founded as a charity in 2017. Things took off. We started running school workshops and events and opened regional offices. And that's where Hope for the Future is today. Thank you, Joe, so much for creating Hope for the Future. I came across it at the end of last year when Zoe Cohen, who's one of the members of the Climate Coaching Alliance and very active with the CEE Bill, Climate and Ecological Emergency Mm. Bill, invited Hope for the Future to offer training on how to engage MPs, as you say. I was deeply impressed by the approach that the trainers took and their emphasis on what I'd describe as a coaching style. Just brilliant, listening deeply and with empathy, as you said, and respecting the humanity of MPs. And and um, in some more recent training, I love the description of MPs as the GPs mm. of the uh, political world. I think that's great. Mm. <laughs> and what about climate emergence then? Moving from hope for the future to climate emergence. Yes. Well, I suppose um, one of the things that really took me by surprise with hope for the future was, and and our and uh, our chair of trustees, Michael Bailey, who who had the original idea. It really took us both by surprise how much the idea took off and how funders became invested and and it seemed to resonate with people and and the success that it had. And as the director, I just wasn't emotionally prepared, I think, for the challenges of running a a fast growing organization. And also for working with such a kind of existential, all encompassing issue like climate change. It just, I found it was impossible to switch off. I found it was impossible to say that I'd done enough. I found, you know, Mm. that it was impacting on my my everyday life. Um, And I began to burn out essentially over time and I had a lot of support from various different people to try and help me in managing that but um, in the end I decided to step down last year and I was fortunate enough to um, get some financial support for some research to basically use my recovery from burnout as a research project for how we can help the climate sector as a whole to prevent burnout and recover from burnout and maintain creativity and work sustainably. So climate emergence is really born out of my experience of burnout and my desire to help other people avoid that experience or recover quicker from that experience and and keep those people in the climate sector who've got the knowledge and the experience that we need just at this pivotal decade to keep them in the sector. I know I'm not the only one that's sort of thought about leaving the sector because the emotional challenges were so difficult. So that's what climate emergence is all about. And I do sort of weekly blog posts, which are all about uh, emotional strategies and workshops. And I'm working on a book as well. So that's that's what I've been doing. I'm recovering. <laughs> that's lovely. And I love I love um, the language in it. I love that hope for the future has got that word hope in it. Yeah. And, and and 
climate emergence and the play on emergence and the emergence word has got hope in it. I think that's mm. terrific. I really enjoy that. So you know firsthand about the potential for overwhelm and the sense of our smallness and how that can immobilise us. And having read through your blogs, and, and it's magic that you've converted that written word into audio to create a podcast of your own. I've been wondering if, if that writing and creating that podcast and creating that website, if there are ways in which you've managed to free yourself from the grip of fear and anxiety and stepped into your own agency through creating climate emergence, sort of address the sense of powerlessness by becoming mm. proactive. Is that a fair way of describing Yeah, definitely. It? I think one of the primary tools that that we have at our disposal when we're facing an issue that we can't control is to focus on the process um, as we engage with that challenge and particularly on how we can find meaning in that process and so you know for me it was quite devastating to burn out and to step down from something that I had poured so much of myself into and I loved and I loved the work and I loved the people that I worked with. And it kind of felt a bit like a, a, a sort of personal collapse, a bit like we might sort of start to see a global collapse and there were some parallels there. And I realized that I was sort of relentlessly expecting myself to, to give and give and I was extracting resources from myself and not replenishing them. And there were so many parallels really between that you know my personal experience of globe of burnout and then this global experience that we're seeing of burnout and so doing the writing creating climate emergence using that kind of unpleasant experience to um, convert that into something that could help me but that I could also use to help other people was a way of creating meaning and I think that's one of the tools that we have at our disposal in building resiliency for climate change is you know where where can i find my small bit of the jigsaw puzzle in this even in my case when i was sort of feeling a bit useless and like i had nothing to give because i'd given it all out there was still something left there for me so it's it's been um a really important part of my recovery and um I love the writing process anyway. I think that's so important, you know, just understanding our narrative and our story of what's happening. So, yeah, it's been a big part of it for me. Mm. And I suppose writing the blogs and and um, and so on is, is about that meaning-making, and it's not something I've necessarily heard anybody else express before as, as a way of supporting ourselves through this and of supporting ourselves to face into it, making mm. meaning. I'm going to take that... And, and and kind <laughs> yeah. of ponder about it. Yeah, thank you. Um, mm. One of the things I've wondered about as I've done a little bit of research about you is about your sense of purpose. And I described you as a change agent, but I wonder what whether that is about your sense of personal purpose and, you know, what is underpinning this work? Yes, it's a really good question. <laughs> What's yours to do yeah. in the world is another way of putting it. What's yours to do in the yes. world? Yes. So I think there's there's something around for me around sort of um, how do we 
have the experience of living fully when we are also living with crisis. And I think mm. uh, there are various experiences that I had in my childhood of crisis that have remained unresolved. And that has propelled me to want to go back to those experiences in my adult life and understand them better. And I think that's propelled me to have a particular interest in the climate crisis of, you know, what what tools are available to us then in dealing with these things that come in and feel like they're just going to sweep our lives away. And, and rather than saying, okay, life is on pause during a pandemic or life is on pause during climate change or um, life is on pause with what, when these personal or global crises kind of come in, actually, are there ways that we can begin to still feel that we are living and living in, in a way that feels fulfilling? Um, so for me, at, at Hope for the Future, it was looking at this sort of approach to lobbying and it was about pushing and forcing MPs to see the right opinion and thinking, mm, there, maybe there's a, a different way of looking at this that's more about collaboration and cooperation and mutual giving and receiving. And, and that did turn out to be quite effective. And then again, this kind of personal crisis with burnout, it's actually looking again what what does living fully look like and and how can we sustain ourselves through these crises so that's that's i think what's going to fascinate me over and over again <laughs> throughout however long i have um left on this planet and um yeah it's that living fully in in crisis the art of living fully in crisis uh-huh that's great so the your personal purpose and maybe the purpose of climate emergence as well because they often overlap don't they mm -hmm. is to live fully and enable others to live fully even in crisis that's mm. that's quite something thank mm. you thank you for being prepared to think that one through yeah and um just to get into really the other people, one of the um, services that you offer is as a mentor for others. Um, and I'm wondering if you're able to share any examples of how you've supported any clients you've had and what shifts they've been able to make in processing what's happening to them. Yeah, and to the planet. No names, of course, but I just wonder if you've got some Mm. So most of the kind of mentoring work that I do and um, the workshops as well is around um, daily practices that kind mm. of build emotional resilience. And it's looking at the way that our brains are wired for certain crises that uh, tend to be kind of in an evolutionary sense, there would be um, a direct threat to our survival, such as a hungry lion or whatever, and our brains are really well adjusted for that. But as a lot of people are exploring with the, with the climate crisis, it's, it's just something that our brains haven't really adapted or evolved to yet because it involves, again, like with the pandemic, having this sustained engagement um, and sort of our adrenaline levels aren't really cut out for doing that over a long period of time so that's when these daily practices that help to forge um, the right kind of neuro pathways to help strengthen our resilience can be really helpful so most of my work is around um, encouraging clients to practice meditation 
um, to um, to practice boundaries in terms of switching off from the work to think about the sort of negativity bias that we have um, to notice things that are threatening but not necessarily to notice the good things that are happening that's another part of our survival mechanism and actually encouraging our brains to notice um, the good things that are happening through a gratitude practice um, so it's quite quite sort of uh, practical steps and it's all around um, this deeper work of burnout being something that happens when we are called to live in a different way but we didn't want to adjust so for in my own experience of burnout um, you know I was I was being called by the way that life was unfolding around me to to practice um, looking after myself as well as looking after the organization that I was running and I, I didn't want to do that and I just wanted to carry on being overly attached to the work until eventually I was kind of forced to detach and so a lot of the work that I do around burnout with the people that I'm mentoring is what is life kind of communicating through those difficulties? How can we listen to those things before they reach crisis point um, and um, adapt accordingly? So, yeah, that's the kind of work that I do. And it's really mm. rewarding to kind of see people being able to really see self-care and and love of self as something that's integral to their climate work rather than something that gets done when they can squeeze it around everything else and that actually one of the most powerful things that you can do to protect the planet is to actually make sure you're capable of standing on your own two feet because you're looking after yourself absolutely absolutely um you know we're no use to anybody if we're not able to function fully ourselves yeah I think that's absolutely right. And I'm wondering also about trauma in this and what mm. your thoughts are on that. I mean, you know, I don't want you to go into details, but you mentioned things that happened to you earlier. And, and I think what's happening now is low-level trauma in a way. And I wonder if it's something mm. that you feel you're addressing through the work you're doing directly enabling naming that this that we're going through a time and that we will be going through a time in the future that can cause some deep trauma to people mm. if you've got any unresolved trauma from your past then something like the pandemic or climate change is going to bring that up because it elicits you know, it, it recreates that sense of being powerlessness. And as you mentioned before, that sense of our smallness. And um, and so, it you know, it, aside from the fresh trauma that comes with, um, you know, what's currently happening and what, what, what we are concerned about happening with climate change, there's also that kind of past trauma that feeds into it. And I think this is where the connection between mind and body becomes really interesting because trauma uh, stores itself more so in the body even than the mind. And, and so where we're living in a world or a society or a culture that's encouraged us to cut off from our bodies or to in some way see our bodies as not important or not relevant or intuition as not important and not relevant and all these things, I see parallels there um, with how we've kind of cut off from the physicality of the planet and how we've ignored the planet's warning signs. And certainly for me, as I was approaching burnout, 
you know, my mind wasn't able to contemplate the fact that I needed to change course, but my body was telling me left, right and centre that, you know, strange aches and pains and infections and all sorts, that there was something that I needed to tend to. So I think in that addressing of our healing, uh, addressing of our trauma, sorry, you know, there is a, a, a kind of reuniting of, of body and mind that needs to happen. And I think that's exactly what the climate crisis is calling us to do is to kind of um, pay attention to the physical realm and, and the trauma that we can kind of see working its way out in that very physical way across the planet. Mm, thank you, thank you. Um, I could pick up on all sorts of things <laughs> you just said there, but I don't think I'm going to. <laughs> um, I'm very aware that you've done a huge amount of research in setting up climate emergence um, and I'm wondering if there's any nuggets from that that you could share um, with listeners as they prepare for COP26 and and support people to achieve those global zero carbon ambitions mm. and reverse the biodiversity loss and indeed address mm -hmm. the trauma of those mm. losses. So I suppose you know my my first thing to say which is something more probably from my hope for the future days but it's a it's a pivotal moment it's um we've got a new president of the us that's got a lot more kind of hopeful prospects to it than than the previous president um there's uh, i think policymakers are in a very different headspace having gone through the pandemic there's a greater understanding of the need for collaboration and coordination. I think there are all sorts of opportunities and sort of every climate NGO out there is going to be putting out action points that you can take part in to get involved in the COP. And, and obviously with it being held here in the UK, there's a particular um, responsibility, I suppose, to infuse our own MPs to go there and bring the whole of themselves to the COP. But having said that, um, as important as that is, probably in terms of my research with climate emergence, it's thinking about um, how we respond psychologically to these big pivotal moments. And again, practicing some detachment there. You know, we've had these sort of big pivotal moments like Copenhagen that seems a long time ago now, where sort of there was all this build up to how important this moment was going to be and and we can't fail and then we did and then what and i don't think ngos and campaigns around climate change are quite so good at helping us to prepare for for what happens after these big events and so um my advice around that would be around kind of um knowing that if cop doesn't come off the way that we want it to then we don't get to give up and it's about building that sense of being able to continue even with disappointment so yeah go all out for the cop definitely get involved but hold a little bit back for yourself in case it doesn't go the way that we want so you can continue to keep engaging regardless of the outcome afterwards thank you very much for that and i think i think i'm feeling quite kind of hopeful about this because um, through through the Climate Coaching Alliance I'm just aware of this this international network of really senior mm. professional coaches who are working 
and who have clients who are at very senior levels in government and in corporates and voluntary sector. And I have a sense of reassurance from knowing that all of those people are mm. going to be getting alongside and enabling what Alison Wybrow in the podcast I had with her talked about as a kind of landing place for the initiatives that come out of COP26. It's mm. like preparing the ground mm. for them. Mm. Yeah, so mm. I think, I, I, you know, I, I, I keep waxing lyrical about climate coaching lights but I don't think we're going to stop doing that because I think it's a magic organisation. It's a real, um, it's a heavy job kind of being in those senior positions that you talk about and and it's a relatively small sector, the climate policy sector in comparison to the kind of weight of responsibility and relatively under-resourced in comparison to the weight of the responsibility and so organisations like the Climate Coaching Alliance that are kind of creating a safe space for that the sort of holding of those emotions is just like you say it can't be underestimated the importance of that because how Indeed. can you be expected to respond with creativity and resilience if mm -hmm. you know if you haven't got that kind of support for the emotional toll so yeah like you I find that very encouraging and providing you know being there as a human resource mm. to support people so that they either they don't end up burning out mm -hmm. or if they need to step aside that they're enabled and supported to step aside you know that's it for their, that's it for their for the yeah. best for the best of themselves and everybody else mm -hmm. and you mentioned um you mentioned the the kind of earlier you mentioned that the the kind of different challenges that MPs have. And, and I wanted to go back to that first question that I had about COVID-19 lessons. And wondering if, if your experience of working with MPs and with others now, that you must be aware of how terrified members mm. of our government have been through this crisis. Mm. And they've got to, you know, they've got a big job facing into these climate and ecological emergencies. What lessons do you think they should be apply, applying to those. What kind of, if you had mm. a chance to say something to them, you know, you're, you're there in number 10 with the cabinet. Yeah. Asking them to learn from what they've been through. Yeah. What might you suggest? You could start with a mindfulness practice, maybe. Yeah, yeah. breathe in for five, breathe out for five. Do that every time you read a difficult email. Um, <laughs> Feel your feet on the ground. Uh -huh. Yeah, definitely. I mean, MPs are under staggering pressure. I think the media does, does MPs a huge sort of disservice. I remember being so shocked the first time I interviewed an MP about their daily routine, and it's like... You know, get up at five in the morning, get on the first train, work till 11 in the evening, do that till Friday, get the last train home, get home at 3am in the morning, get up the, the next day and do two full days of surgery meetings and then go and do the same thing on Monday mm. morning. I mean, it's just, it's hugely pressurised and it's, it's not like that for every MP, but the vast majority of MPs are really overworking. Um, and like you say, very feeling very vulnerable about the challenges that they're being required to respond to and I think if if you've ever found yourself wanting to switch off from climate change or wanting to kind of just pretend that these things aren't happening it's kind of that experience magnified for MPs because 
the responsibility does weigh on their shoulders and they're just like us they're kind of trying to uh figure it out as they go along and um and so i think yeah the you know my first i suppose bit of advice would be um for MPs is thinking about how well the public has responded to the restrictions mm. of the pandemic. And there's been this kind of debate going on and on for many years with, with climate change of politicians saying, you know, especially a particular political persuasion saying, oh, we're, we're not here to be dictators. You know, we're here to respond to the will of the public and there isn't enough will to do something about climate change and we can't impose these measures without enough public support. And of course, that's why lobbying MPs is so important, even if even if you think your MP is never going to be interested. Um, but I think what the pandemic has shown is that with these huge global international challenges that affect every single person, you need clear leadership to just step in, make decisions, provide guidelines. And that actually um, there's been, you know, we, we've coped very well, actually, with um, with that. Where it's been difficult is where there hasn't been clear leadership. Um, and so I think, you know, actually, um, that's going to be one of the most important things for us going forwards is how can we bring in the kinds of support and yes it will involve restrictions to deal with climate change in a way that people know where they are and they can respond with resiliency because there's a sense of understanding where they are and I think that's probably the biggest lesson for politicians from my perspective is we can cope with what needs to be done but only if we have clear leadership that helps us understand why it needs to be done and when it needs to be done and therefore that we can plan around. Just to amplify a little what you're saying, it's if, if the public, if the voter realises, if voters realise, as I think they are increasingly, that the emergencies are on a similar scale to COVID-19, they will follow mm. and will listen to guidance and they will want to act collectively and so there's something about trusting trusting that that aspect of of humans you know to to want to do the best for everybody in the kind of measures they come up yeah, with absolutely yeah and there's there's such a leadership role for politicians because for the vast majority of us when lockdown first came to came into place mm. in March you know we we didn't actually know someone that had had it or died from it but we trusted political leaders when they said this is absolutely life threatening and we need to do something about this right now um and you know and and sci trust in science is at an all time high because of that because of the pandemic as well and so it's you know it'd be saying to politicians as well show leadership in terms of raising public awareness of how 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 just how critical this this problem is if politicians aren't talking about it people are going to be thinking well it can't be that bad um and um yeah there's a unique opportunity after the pandemic because precisely because of that so maybe you know if you're sitting around the cabinet table i'm putting you back in there. <laughs> It, it would be, the message to them might be, you've trusted the science in dealing with COVID-19. Now trust the science when it comes to the climate and the ecological emergencies. Mm. And show leadership. The is there. <laughs> show leadership, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. Trust the science yeah. and, and really show some, some real leadership. Show leadership. Yeah. 
also i know your job Lovely. is really hard and uh, sorry that it's so hard and lots of empathy but also show some <laughs> leadership <laughs> uh, we speak a lot don't we in this work about changing hearts and minds yeah and um i've read a very bold statement of yours i loved it we have everything we need within ourselves to halt catastrophic climate change Actually, maybe that's what you need to say to the cabinet. <laughs> you have everything yeah. you need within yourselves to halt catastrophic climate mm -hmm. change. <laughs> it, it strikes me that that's a very heart-based, some might say spiritual approach to this. Um, and you also write that you spent a lot of time trying to change others' minds. And I just wonder if climate emergence is an expression of your commitment to heart-based work as, as well as to changing yes. minds I think where it's it's I suppose I might phrase it as it's that commitment to not just pouring ourselves out there trying to change other people or you made the link with the spiritual connection but you know taking the log out of other people's eyes or taking the splinter out of, out of other people's eyes and actually thinking about the log in our own eyes or or the blockages in our own lives and practicing building change in our own lives so that we can have that kind of wisdom to help other people work towards change so and i also mentioned earlier about that kind of disconnect between the mind and the body and i think it's trying to bring bring our, our the whole of ourselves to the work that we do you know I loved your suggestion of first thing I would do it number 10 is get them to do a mindfulness practice we need to sort of normalize these practices that um that encourage people to bring the whole of themselves rather than kind of the mind is my mind is the most important thing about me my value is in my mind and my capacity to come up with good ideas and everything else is just there for to facilitate my mind and with regards to um having everything we need within ourselves to to halt catastrophic climate change i think there are so many unhelpful narratives out there about how human beings are awful for the planet and we are on this road towards destruction and actually these these narratives that we have about ourselves become self-fulfilling and we have to believe that it is possible for us to change we have to believe that it's possible for us to 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 be different in order to become different so it's it's part of kind of rewiring the way that we talk about ourselves as well um and what we believe about ourselves mm. thank you <laughs> thank you and and another way you've expressed all of that <laughs> is that you've got this marvelous flyer on your website i was really taken with it this flyer self-care plan for the climate emergency and it's just great and it lists these four elements. Grace, truly connecting with being enough through a daily stillness practice, which you named just now. Grounding, daily contact with nature. Growth, journaling as the story unfolds. And then gratitude, keeping your heart open for the 10 things that you're grateful for. I'm not going to ask you for 10 things, but I wonder if as you look back over the years since you founded Climate Emergence, mm. if there's a couple of things you could share with people listening yes. to this that you're yes, grateful for. Yes, that's a lovely for. question. Um, the first would be, you know, I, I love 
um, I love working with other people and one of the big griefs about leaving Hope for the Future and, and going it alone is is going it alone and not having that same sense of colleagues and teams of people around me and the people that subscribe to my blog um, it feels like they have kind of built a bit of a community around me that supports me and that I'm incredibly grateful for that they kind of write back to me with ideas or feedback or challenges or suggestions and um and yeah i felt incredibly supported in that way and i'm really really grateful for that um and then the other thing would probably be um just um i've been sort of fortunate i suppose to feel that this time of being in lockdown has given me the opportunity and the space to reflect and do this inner work. It kind of, I literally, I left Hope for the Future and two weeks later we were in lockdown and I naturally had wanted to kind of let go of everything in my life in order to reevaluate it all. And lockdown enabled me to do that. And then when I started to come out of it and wanted to do all sorts again and and I, I started to want to kind of get busy again and, and kind of go here, there and everywhere doing everything again and lockdown stopped that being possible. And then I moved to a deeper level of rest because of it, because I couldn't escape um, and I, I couldn't just throw myself into the next thing. And so I'm actually really grateful for that kind of experience that at first I welcomed and then I wrestled with and now that I've come to welcome again. Um, it's the timing for me personally happened to be very fortunate in that way. Um, so I think, you know, I owe the depth of the work that I have to, to lockdown actually, um, which I'm very grateful for. That's great, great answers. And you mentioned your blog there and the community that's growing around your blog. Um, do you want to name your website so that people yes. know where they so can find you? So it's www.climateemergence.co.uk um, and you can subscribe there. I send out a full blog post at the beginning of the month that sets the, the theme for the month um, and then I send out follow-up emails every Sunday night um, for the rest of the month that's just for subscribers that's kind of got different practices and takes and resources on that theme um, so yeah climateemergence.co.uk and you've done that clever thing of turning the words into yes. podcast into audio <laughs> I'm not an, a, an audio person myself I, I'm not sure why I'm doing this podcast I dislike the sound of my own voice enormously <laughs> but it's I suppose it's my commitment to making the the stuff that I do as accessible as possible so um, listen to that if you really have to if you really don't like writing you could listen to it <laughs> <laughs> I, I, can, I kind of like both I think I'm a secret radio journalist <laughs> you you mentioned something else earlier and I just want to give you a chance to to let people know about it that you're writing a book mm. so um I don't know what your time scale is on that and I'm not gonna even ask you to tell us what's in it exactly but is there a, is there a vague hint of when that might emerge yes so it's um 
I mean, not really. <laughs> I, in the next, in you know, I hope you know within the next year. I've been working on it for nearly a year, so uh, I'm making good progress. But it's it's all about my um, my journey with burnout, and it charts my recovery from from okay. activism burnout, and uh, hopefully, kind of um, cl- collates all of the research and the personal experiences that I've had in in all the things that we've touched on in in this call so yeah it's eclectic which is why it's taking a while but I'm enjoying it it's my first book and uh yeah I'm enjoying it brilliant brilliant is it a memoir then yes I suppose it is it it kind of starts uh, at the moment anyway it starts with um the sort of moment Mm. that uh, I made it with hope for the future. We got this huge grant that kind of ensured that we were going to be having sort of several years of of uh, financial stability and things like that. And it, it happened to be through a variety of circumstances the moment that I realised I was going to have to step down as well. So it was this sort of bittersweet moment, and mm-hmm. and from there, kind of, yeah, what what had happened to get to that point, and and how how I worked myself from that point lovely that's great thank you for sharing that and i don't know what your working title is but I wonder about bittersweet. <laughs> yeah love it yeah <laughs> yeah i wonder about bittersweet thank you thank you joe have you got anything any final just, words you want to say yeah conclude? have we covered um, everything that you just want to say? yeah thanks for having me and encouraging me to to come out of my little writing shell to actually vo- voice some of the things that i've been working on and um yeah i really appreciate that so yeah it's been good good to to connect with you over that thank you thank you so much that hopelessness um, want to subscribe to the coaching conversations podcast and that you can find find it on any podcast platform and you can also find it on my coaching website, which is Coaching with Intent. And the address for that is www.coachingwithintent.co.uk. And it would be lovely to receive any reviews or comments. And see you, or rather I won't see you, hopefully have, know that you've been listening when the next podcast comes along. <laughs>